we typically use. We always use the ESV or the NIV, but I felt as reading through the various translations that this one was one that um, captured the message and almost the, the flow and the poetry of this psalm. Psalmist writes, The heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies display his craftsmanship. Day after day they continue to speak. Night after night they make him known. They speak without a word or sound. Their voice is never heard. Yet their message has gone throughout the earth and their words to all the world. God has made a home in the heavens for the sun. It bursts forth like a radiant bridegroom after his wedding. It rejoices like a great athlete eager to run the race. The sun rises at one end of the heavens and follows its course to the other end. Nothing can hide from its heat. The instructions of the Lord are perfect, reviving the soul. The decrees of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The commandments of the Lord are right, bringing joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are clear, giving insight for living. Reverence for the Lord is pure, lasting forever. The laws of the Lord are true, each one is fair. They are more desirable than gold, even the finest of gold. They are sweeter than honey, even honey dripping from the comb. They are a warning to your servant, a great reward for those who obey them. How can I know all the sins lurking in my heart? Cleanse me from these hidden faults. Keep your servant from deliberate sins. Don't let them control me. Then I will be free of guilt and innocent of great sin. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. This is the word of God. God spoke to me. When I hear those words, God spoke to me, my radar often goes up. And depending on the circumstances or maybe who is sharing them, I'm either extremely interested or I can be extremely cautious. You see, on the cautious side, I have to admit that as I get older, I'm getting a little more cynical. I've always been a, a very trusting person, and sometimes my trust and my gullibility has led me to trust when perhaps I shouldn't have. My gullibility has also made me the victim of a good joke. Now, the reason I can be cautious when somebody says to me, God spoke to me, is because Unfortunately, I have heard people use that phrase to support whatever it is they want to do or whatever it is they want to believe. In other words, they're using God to give their ideas credibility. In other times, it's clear that God didn't speak because what the person thinks God said to them goes against the teaching of the Bible. Now, if you're like me, there are those times when we're really not sure if God is speaking to us. And in those instances, I've found it best to maybe say, I think God may be showing me something. The truth is, though, God does speak. Among God's greatest messages are comfort and encouragement and guidance and correction. 
And I found in those times when God is speaking to a, a person or a group of people or even me, there, there is confirmation. Confirmation may come with what happens next. Confirmation may also be when other people seem to have heard the same message from God. Of course, when God speaks, his message aligns with the Bible. God never contradicts himself. God's word is always true and never changing. But I'm guessing in a group this size, a few of you might be sitting there thinking, God's never spoken to me. Well, I hate to tell you, but it could be that you're not listening. But it also could be that maybe you just didn't realize that God was speaking. The very fact that you are here this morning in church suggests that God has spoken to you in your life. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you. We worship you. Creation reflects your glory. The beauty of nature makes you known. Your word, the Bible, reveals your instructions, your laws for living. Through the Bible, you teach us what is right, what is trustworthy, what is true, and what is desirable. Your word brings joy. It lasts forever. It clearly shows us how to live. We come to you this morning as your children, children who desperately need their father, children who often rebel, children who are broken. We ask that you would protect us from the world's temptations, that you would guide us in paths of righteousness. We're so thankful that through your son, Jesus Christ, sacrifice for us on the cross, that we have forgiveness. We seek to live for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Just a couple minutes ago, we read Psalm 19. And Psalm 19 was believed to be, have been written by King David. This is the same guy that slayed Goliath, the same guy who became a great king, who was called a man after God's own heart. The psalm speaks of God revealing himself to us. It specifically concerns two of the ways that God reveals himself, how he speaks to us. The first is in his creation, and then the second is in his word, the Bible. The psalm then ends with our response to God's revelation. Now, I want you to take a moment and, and think about perhaps the most beautiful place that you've ever been. Picture that image in your mind. Was it the beach? Could it have been maybe the mountains? Or a deep forest? Or, or maybe the open plains? Or a clear starlit night? Or maybe it's just the view outside your window of your house or your apartment. The thing is, it's clear, is that God's creation declares the glory of God. Now, some people actually worship creation itself. When I hear people speak of Mother Nature or Mother Earth, I have to tell you, it makes my skin crawl. And whether people realize it or not, speaking of Mother Nature or Mother Earth gets it completely wrong. 
Such titles can lead to worship of creation. And we don't worship creation. There's no such thing as Mother Nature. There's no such thing as Mother Earth. We worship the one who created. God reveals himself through creation. And this revelation of God is called general or natural revelation. And that simply means that this is the revelation that anyone who's alive should be able to see. All you got to do is open your eyes and you can't miss it. Psalm 19 says this about creation. The heavens proclaim the glory of God. The psalm writer David there was referring to the sun, the stars, the planets, the moon, and clouds. In, in Genesis 1, verses 6 through 8, God said, let there be an expanse. And then he said, let it separate the waters from the waters. And God called the expanse heaven. The heavens proclaim the glory of God. Commentator Alan Ross writes, to speak of God's glory is to speak of his intrinsic value and what gives him his importance. The skies, they display God's craftsmanship. You know, many of you know that my wife and I love Branson and we love that theme park down there called Silver Dollar City. And I have to tell you, Unlike some people, Mary and I don't go down there for the rides. We go for the music. We go for the craftsmanship. I love watching a, a blacksmith pound something useful out of a rod of metal. I'm always amazed that a, a glass blower can take a glob of molten glass and make a vase. But I have to admit my favorite is watching Warren Cook make beautiful furniture using equipment that was made in the late, teen, late 1800s. See, that is craftsmanship. It is learned and it's gifted skills on display to produce something amazing. And God, he's the master craftsman. He spoke and created everything we see. Continuing the psalm, verses 2 and 3 say, The heavens and skies continue to speak, making God known. They speak without a sound or word. Their voice is never heard. The Apostle Paul put it this way in Romans chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. He wrote, For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. God speaks through his creation. He never stops speaking. Now in the next verses of the psalm, the focus sh shifts to a specific part of the heavens, the sun. David writes of the sun bursting forth like a radiant bridegroom. He compares the sun to an athlete. The sun rises in the east and it follows its course to the west. Nothing can hide from its heat. The sun is prominent. It's a prominent representative of God's creation. The sun provides light and heat and energy. W without the sun, life on earth doesn't exist. And, and the fact is, is that is why many pagan religions worshipped the sun. The sun was called Shamash, 
the Babylonian god Shamash was even called the bridegroom, which is the words David used. But David was very clear in the psalm. The son is not God. The son is not a God. God made the son. The son speaks to the glory of God. God. Creation shouts praises of glory to God. But the question is this. What evidence of God do you see in the world around you? Today, take a look at the created world and see how it praises God. In the next verses of the psalm, David takes us in a new direction. He reminds us that God also speaks through his word, the Bible. God speaks specifically through the Bible. And such God speaking is often called specific or special or particular revelation. In the Bible, God speaks to a particular group of people in a specific manner. You might just simplify it and say it this way. God gets into the details. And such revelation is required for salvation. To be saved from the punishment that our sins deserve. Jesus saves us. In in keeping with this idea, our evangelical free church statement of faith says this. It says, we believe that God has spoken in the scriptures, both Old and New Testaments, through the words of human authors. As the verbally inspired word of God, the Bible is without error in the original writings. The complete revelation of his will for salvation and the ultimate authority by which every realm of human knowledge and endeavor should be judged. Therefore, it is to believed in all that it teaches obeyed in all that it requires, and trusted in all that it promises. We rely on the word of God. David expressed the value of God's word in in different manners. He said it's reviving, it makes wise, it's insightful, desirable, sweet, and as a reward. He also used different words to describe God's word, including instruction, decrees, commandments, laws, and warning. Verse 7 shows the instructions of the Lord are perfect. They revive the soul. See, the Bible is the perfect proclamation of truth. It wasn't that long ago we were finishing up our series of John's Gospel, and if you remember the story in John chapter 4 where Jesus spoke to the woman at the well, and Jesus told her that he would provide living water, Jesus added that whoever drinks of this water will never be thirsty again. See, the Bible, through Christ, fills our thirst for God. It brings to life our very being, our very soul. At the end of verse 7, we read how the decrees of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. Making wise the simple. And that idea is that even those with no training can become wise through the words of the Bible. You know, the plain fact is you don't need to go to seminary to understand the Bible. Seminary is good, but anyone can open up their Bible and read it and grow and be taught and strengthen their faith. The words of the Bible are trustworthy. 
They're not ever going to fail to deliver God's message. Next, in verses 8 and 9a, it says the commandments of the Lord are right and clear. See, God's commandments can be understood. They bring joy to the heart. They provide insight for living. They result in reverence or fear of the Lord that is pure and that it lasts forever. As we go through life, it's easy to get off track. It's easy for people to wander through life with no clear path, no joy. We've all met people who seem to have no sense of direction for their life. They're just wandering around aimlessly. They have no purpose. They have no true joy. Those who follow Jesus, Christians, read God's word. We have purpose. We have a higher calling for our life. We love God. We love people. We impact our community through service. We make disciples, which means we help others learn to follow Christ. Christians are some of the most joyful people that you can ever meet. And the fact is, is we come in all different colors, all different shapes, all different sizes. We're rich, we're poor. We include doctors and welders and teachers and sales clerks and students and retired people. We appreciate the differences in all people, knowing that in Christ we can all be united. Going on at the end of verse 9, and then in verse 10, David reminds us that the laws of the Lord are true and fair. They are more desirable than gold. They are sweeter than honey. Other translations say that the laws of God are firm and righteous. God's laws, his truth, doesn't change. Culture tries to change God's world word to fit what it wants to believe. And, and the fact is, is that we do the, tr- the same thing. We can rationalize our sin thinking it wasn't that bad or maybe I was just made that way. And, and that sounds nice, but it doesn't work. The fact is that all of us were born sinners. But it's not an excuse. We choose to sin. And what we often try to do is bend or change the words of the Bibles to make us feel a little better about our sin. What is called sin never changes because God's word never changes. It's always right. It's always true. The last of David's descriptions and values for God's God's word come in verse 11. God's word serves as a warning. It also serves as a reward. God warns us against disobedience. God rewards those who keep his commandments. God speaks through his creation. He speaks through his word. And and what you and I do in response, that's up to us. We can worship God. We can seek to live by his word. Or we can just reject him. The last verse of, verses of Psalm 19 show us the proper response. We are to commit our life to God. In, in those last verses, David wonders how he can know all the sins that are lurking in his heart. He actually goes ahead and he calls them hidden faults. These are the sins that we commit that we might not even realize that we've committed. 
in, in the book of Leviticus in the Old Testament, there was an offering for sins that were committed in ignorance. In other words, the people didn't realize what they were doing. And that can happen to us as well. Maybe you said something mean, you offended someone, but it wasn't your intention. Or we missed an opportunity to serve another person and we didn't even realize it. We've probably all overlooked opportunities to share our faith and again, may not have even noticed. We get so busy with life that we fail to recognize that we have made God a, a lower priority. It just happens. But these are all still sins. We're still guilty. We still need forgiveness. Forgiveness is what David asked for the, in this psalm. He wrote, cleanse me. And cleanse me is just another way of saying to God, forgive me. David also wrote about some of our more obvious sins. He said, keep your servant from deliberate sins. Don't let them control me. And these are the things that you and I, we know they're wrong, but we do them anyway. You know, I, I think this morning one of the things I thought about is we could all make a list of our deliberate sins. It, it could be a contest to see whose list of deliberate sins is the longest. But it's probably not a good idea especially if my list would end up being longer than any of yours. But deliberate sins are those sins that we often commit on a daily basis. David asked that God would keep these sins from controlling him. See, deliberate sins often become habitual. They become addictions. They can control us. And they often lead to greater sins. We need God's help to free us from their grip. And God will help us. But we have to be willing to let him change us. Asking for forgiveness and protection from sins are signs of a life that's committed to God. And then Psalm 19 ends with, ends with words sometimes stated by pastors before they deliver a message. He writes, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. He's ending this psalm with a prayer. This is a prayer. It, it's a prayer we should all pray. We should begin by asking God to forgive us. We ask God to help us live for Jesus, and we pray that what we say and what we think would bring glory to God. God speaks to us through his creation. Creation sings his praise, and so we worship God. God speaks to us through his word, the Bible. The Bible is God's complete revelation of his will for salvation. It is to be believed in all that it teaches, obeyed in all that it requires, and trusted in all that it promises. This week, if it doesn't rain too much, take your Bible outside. Read it. Ask the Holy Spirit to open its words so that God can speak to you. And then take a look at the world around you. Thank God for the beauty of his creation. And then ask God to lead you in paths 
of righteousness.